0: Are tuned to KVMR, FM Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's time for the KVMR Evening News for Friday, December 4th, 2020. For their support, we'd like to thank Don Adams Antenna Services, locally owned and operated Dish Network installer, assisting Nevada County residents with satellite television for over 35 years. Located on Jaworski Drive in Grass Valley, 530-274-3709. Mailboxes Plus, offering curbside mailing and packaging services for the holidays. Shipping with all major carriers for timely gift arrivals. Located in the B&C Shopping Center, Grass Valley. Mailboxes Plus, GV.net. Well, coming up after a look at our local headlines and weather, we'll bring you NPR's national headlines. After that, we're going to bring you the entirety of the Nevada County COVID-19 Community Update webinar that was held this afternoon. Because of the length of the webinar, we will not be broadcasting the California Report, but you can listen to it on our website at kvmr.org. I'm Felton Pruitt. Now here are today's news headlines. Nevada County held a special COVID-19 community update on Zoom this afternoon. We'll have that for you coming up after our local headlines and NPR headlines. Pacific Gas and Electric's household customers will be hit with an average rate increase of 8% to help the once bankrupt utility pay for improvements designed to reduce the risks that its outdated equipment will ignite deadly wildfires in its Northern California service territory. The higher prices approved yesterday take effect on March 1st and are expected to boost the bills of PG&E's residential customers by an average of $13.44 a month. That may further strain the budgets of people struggling to make ends meet during a recession caused by the pandemic that is causing governments to curtail commerce and corral people at home in an effort to ease the spread of the virus that causes COVID-19. California power regulators approved the increase after two years of wrangling between PG&E and a variety of groups battling to limit how much of the financial burden customers should have to shoulder for the utilities long-running neglect of a grid that supplies power to about 16 million people in a sprawling area. PG&E's outdated equipment was blamed for causing a series of wildfires during 2017 and 2018 that killed more than 120 people and destroyed more than 27,000 homes and other buildings. The damage caused PG&E to file for bankruptcy in 2019, opening a legal avenue for the company to negotiate $25.5 billion in settlements with wildfire victims and others. The Placer County Water Agency reports that after six months of strategic forest treatments, partners of the French Meadows Forest Restoration Project are wrapping up their second season of implementation work. Located in the headwaters of the Middle Fork American River in the Tahoe National Forest, the project aims to restore forest health by reducing high-severity fires across 28,000 acres of critical watershed and to study the effects of forest treatments on ecosystem health. In its second season, the partnership expanded its efforts beyond the heavily trafficked area around French Meadows Reservoir and into the upper reaches of the watershed. The Sacramento Business Journal reports that Auburn-based fuel distributor Flyers Energy has acquired 99 unattended cardlock fuel stations in the Southwest under the brands Firebird Fuel and CFN, or Commercial Fuel Network. Flyers bought the stations from Findlay, Ohio-based refinery company Marathon Petroleum Corp. in a sale that adds three new states to Flyers territory, which now includes 23 states and more than 400 locations. Flyers didn't disclose the value of the deal. The Firebird deal is Flyers' eighth acquisition in a decade. The merger adds Colorado, Arizona, and New Mexico to states that Flyers serves. It also adds stations in West Texas and El Paso. Flyers was already in the Dallas area with its Quick Fuel brand. Flyers distributes mobile lubricants and wholesale and branded fuel. Flyers is still looking for more acquisition targets as it expands nationwide. The company is being supported by its mergers by Roseville-based investment bank DCA Partners. Flyers has a station in Grass Valley in the Brunswick Basin. The Guardian reports that the Trump administration has formally announced the go-ahead for the fiercely opposed sale of controversial gas and oil drilling licenses in Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. The refuge is a pristine Wilderness and home to polar bears, caribou, and many other wildlife species. The sale of leases is planned for the 6th of January 2021, a few days before Trump leaves the White House. While the Trump administration was known to be pushing ahead with the plans, the Bureau of Land Management confirmed in a press release yesterday that it would publish a notice of the sale on Monday, December 7th, time to be just ahead of the inauguration of the U.S. President elect Joe Biden, who opposes the move. The announcement came earlier than expected and ahead of the end of the public comments process. The sale would be conducted via video live stream, according to the Bureau of Land Management. Trump had authorized sales of gas and oil leases in the Alaska National Park in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which he signed into law that year calling for two leases of at least 400,000 acres each within the refuge's coastal plain. Chad Paget, BLM Alaska State Director, said, Congress directed us to hold lease sales in the Anwar coastal plain, and we have taken a significant step in announcing the first sale in advance of the December 2021 deadline set by law. The weather forecast for Grass Valley in Nevada City is calling for clear skies tonight with lows in the mid-40s. On Saturday, a few afternoon clouds with highs in the low 60s. Saturday night, cloudy with lows in the mid-40s. And on Sunday, in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, partly cloudy with highs in the mid-50s. In Sacramento this evening, clear skies with lows in the mid-30s. On Saturday, mostly sunny with highs in the mid-60s. Saturday night, a few clouds with lows in the low 40s. And on Sunday in the Sacramento area, mostly sunny by the afternoon with highs in the low 60s. In Truckee, tonight clear skies with lows in the mid-teens. On Saturday, mostly sunny with highs in the low 50s. Saturday night, partly cloudy with lows in the mid-20s. and On Sunday in Truckee, partly sunny with highs in the mid-40s. In Angels Camp tonight, mostly clear with lows in the mid-30s. On Saturday, mostly sunny with highs in the upper 60s. Saturday night, partly cloudy with lows around 40. and On Sunday in the Angels Camp region, generally sunny with highs in the low 60s. That's the KVMR Evening News Headlines. I'm Felton Pruitt.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President elect Joe Biden referred to the November Jobs Report. As grim and reiterated, Congress needs to quickly pass a COVID relief bill. And Pierce Asma Hallett has more.
2: Biden declined to directly answer questions about whether or not he had spoken with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. But it seems the president-elect was involved in some capacity in helping congressional leaders break a stalemate, though he told reporters he did not want to reveal his strategy.
0: It would be kind of stupid for me to tell you what I did, wouldn't it?
1: It'd be kind of hard to do it again. <laughs>
2: Biden has repeatedly said help is critical for millions of people who could lose unemployment assistance by the end of the year. But he also said he spoke with his economic advisors about an additional recovery plan that he intends to present to the new Congress. Asma Khalid, NPR News.
1: States are facing a deadline to place orders for the coronavirus vaccine as many report record infections, hospitalizations and deaths number of Americans hospitalized with COVID-19 hit an all-time high in the U.S. yesterday, and more than 100,000, and many hospitals are at the breaking point. Today, Arizona alone reported more than 5,000 new cases for a second straight day, as the number of available intensive care beds there fell below 10 percent. Nevada reported 48 deaths yesterday, that state's deadliest day since the onset of the pandemic. Pennsylvania's top health official says intensive care beds there could be full this month. Vice President Vice Vice President Pence received an assessment of the current state of the coronavirus pandemic in the U.S. during a visit to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. NPR's Tamara Keith explains, while vaccines are coming soon, CDC officials are calling for people to take precautions now.
3: Pence, who heads the White House Coronavirus Task Force, tried to project optimism, saying this is a season of hope. But top officials at the CDC told him that hospitalizations and deaths are rising, healthcare providers are overstretched, beds are full, and slowing the spread is now essential. Dr. Henry Walke is director of the CDC's Division of Preparedness and Emerging Infections. He says Americans need to...
4: Use a mask, uh, wash their hands, maintain their distance avoid um, crowded indoor, unventilated uh, uh, spaces, and and get tested.
3: The CDC is out with new guidelines advising universal mask-wearing indoors outside the home and discouraging dining indoors at restaurants. Tamara Keith. NPR News. U.S.
1: Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos has announced that pandemic relief will continue for about 41 million federal student loan borrowers until January 31st. In March, borrowers were granted a reprieve on their loan payments. Interest was set to zero and collections of defaulted student loans were stopped because of the coronavirus pandemic. On Wall Street today, the Dow is up 248 points. This is NPR. The lawyer for a 17-year-old accused of fatally shooting two people and wounding a third during a night of unrest in Wisconsin is now extracting himself from the criminal defense. That's after prosecutors raised ethical concerns about the lawyer. Los Angeles-based civil lawyer John Pierce has been at the forefront of the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, who's accused of carrying out the shootings during a protest in Kenosha this past summer. He was also key in raising the $2 million bail for Rittenhouse. Prosecutors contend Pierce has significant personal financial difficulties. Farmers are feeling more pessimistic in the aftermath of the presidential election. Harvest Public Media's Dana Cronin has that story.
5: The monthly Ag Economy Barometer, put out by Purdue University, calculates how optimistic agriculture producers are feeling. In October, the barometer recorded its highest ever index. In November, though, that number plummeted. Michael Langemeyer helps calculate the index. He says this month's survey reflects dissatisfaction with the outcome of the presidential election.
6: You have a change in, in the party that's running the White House, there's going to be changes. And how people view policy issues?
5: Langemeyer says farmers are still relatively optimistic in the short term due to high crop prices and good trade news. For NPR News, I'm Dana Cronin in Urbana, Illinois.
1: A week after the company was fined for delaying safety recalls, Korean automaker Hyundai says it's recalling about 130,000 vehicles in the U.S. because the engines could fail. Owners will be notified next year, with dealers responsible for replacing the engines if it's found bearings are damaged. I'm Jack Spear. NPR News.
0: This afternoon at 2 o'clock, officials from Nevada County held a Nevada County COVID-19 community update webinar. It featured Molly Dick, the Assistant County Executive Officer for Nevada County, Heidi Hall, the Chair of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors, Ryan Gruber, the Nevada County Health and Human Agency Director, Jill Blake, the Nevada County Public Health Director, Dr. Brian Evans, the CEO of Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, and Judy Newland, Tahoe Forest Hospital Chief Operating Officer. Here is that webinar in its entirety. Because of that, we will not be bringing you the California report here on KVMR, but it will be on our website at kvMR.org. Now here is Molly Dick, the Assistant County CEO, getting the meeting started.
5: All right, good afternoon, everyone. It is two o'clock. My name is Molly Dick. I'm the Assistant County Executive Officer for Nevada County, and we're going to go ahead and start this webinar So I'm going to turn it over to Heidi Hall, Chair of our Board of Supervisors, to introduce us today. Thank you,
7: Molly, Um, and welcome to today's COVID-19 update from our public health and medical experts. Our panelists today are Ryan Groover, Nevada County Health and Human Agency Director, Jill Blake, Nevada County Public Health Director, Dr. Brian Evans, Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital CEO, Judy Newland, Tahoe Forest Hospital Chief Operating Officer, and Amali Dick, who will facilitate, our Nevada County Assistant CEO, who will facilitate. Thank you to all of you coming to learn more and to all of the panelists. Today, you will hear an update on the serious situation we find ourselves in here in Nevada County with regard to COVID. I will leave it to the experts to share the data with you and to touch a little bit on what we might expect in the coming weeks. As you may have heard yesterday, Governor Newsom announced a regional stay at home order in order to slow the spread of COVID-19. I want to assure you that the county considers our public health threat serious. We fully intend to continue to stay in alignment with the state's public health guidance and mandate, and we support our public health staff and experts in everything they're doing to manage this crisis, reduce the spread of COVID, and keep us safe. It is imperative that you do too. We wanna keep you informed. Nevada County plans to send out code red emergency alert notices to residents and visitors if Nevada County does move into a stay at home order due to regional hospital capacity. The best way we can minimize the COVID infections and deaths in this county is also the best way we can support our businesses, our teachers, essential workers and healthcare workers. That is by wearing a mask properly socially distancing, and washing our hands. It is that simple. Please continue to take care of yourselves, your neighbors, and your community by doing so. Thank you to all of you in this difficult time. And now I wanna turn it back over to Molly to facilitate the panel.
5: Great, thank you so much, Chair Hall. So first, um, Ryan Groover, our Health and Human Services Agency Director is going to provide an update on COVID in Nevada County. Thank you, Ryan
4: yeah thank you for inviting me to speak today though i very much wish that it were under better circumstances Um, the word unprecedented has been thrown around a lot over the last nine months and yet i must continue to use it because we are in the midst of an unprecedented surge in COVID 19 cases both nationally at the state level and then within nevada county Um, Nationally, we're at over 14 million confirmed COVID cases, um, and for a bit of perspective on how fast we're adding new cases, I'd remind you that um, we didn't pass 10 million cases until November 8th, so we're adding more than a million cases per week nationally. Um, We know from previous smaller surges that hospitalizations and deaths lag behind a surge in cases, um, and unfortunately, we've started to see deaths tick up as well and We're now seeing records in terms of daily deaths eclipsing the alarming tragedy that we witnessed in March when New York had its hospital system overwhelmed. Um, California has typically fared better than other states, um, but we are setting grim records here as well. Um, and unfortunately, this surge couldn't have come at a worse time. It takes two weeks or more before the impacts of a holiday such as Thanksgiving um, show up in new cases. And as Dr. of the state's health and human services secretary has indicated, it takes a couple of weeks after that before we see a surge in hospitalizations as a result of that. So we still have not seen the impacts of Thanksgiving. Um, It's in that context that the state yesterday announced a regional stay-at-home order based on ICU capacity. Um, Our hospitals have done amazing work developing their surge capacity, building up PPE supplies and learning how to treat COVID, and we'll hear from them in a little bit in terms of um, what they've done. Um, But we do benefit from our ability to transfer people to regional hospitals as well. And um, if hospitals regionally fill up, then a lifeline could be cut off for our county. So um, this is not unique to us, and that's why the state made the state Stay at home order that I'll talk uh, briefly about regional and triggered by ICU capacity. So um, briefly to talk about the stay at home order, uh, I know there will be a lot of questions and there are still areas where we're seeking clarity as well. Um, so I'll give you a high level overview and attempt to answer any questions um, in the chat and then after everybody's had a chance to speak. Um, But um, the order that was issued last night includes a statewide ban on non essential travel with motels and lodging being limited to house critical infrastructure and then based on regional data. um, The state has defined um, five regions which would move to a stay at home order for three weeks when they dip to 15% of available ICU capacity. So um, Nevada County is part of the greater Sacramento region. And I've already um, heard and seen people express surprise and say that we're not similar to Sacramento. Why are we looped into that region? So I would note that we both transfer people to Placer and Sacramento counties, but also that we we actually benefit in terms of um, our ICU capacity from being lumped in with that group because it's the second best region in the state in terms of that ICU capacity. Um, The greater Sacramento region with the update yesterday was at 22.2% capacity. Um, And the state's modeling projects that um, uh, all regions in the state will eventually hit that 15% capacity threshold um, and that they would expect that in the greater SAC region um, early to mid-December, so in the next couple weeks. Um, When that happens, many sectors that are currently allowed to operate with capacities or with outdoor allowances will be closed, including bars, hair salons, personal services, movie theaters, and more. And I can... um, place out a link to which sectors those are if somebody hasn't already done it Um, and then some things would remain open um, in contrast to the stay at home order that we saw in March, including retail which could operate at 20% capacity, um, critically, given the holiday season restaurants would still be open for takeout. schools um, can remain open with no change from um, from the current tiered framework and places of worship also with uh, no change from the current framework there are many more details out there and more yet to come um, but Um, Those are some highlights of it and they've indicated that we will stay if once we trigger that 15% capacity, the region will stay in this lockdown for um, three weeks and then at the end of that time based on projections. um, If the state's projecting that the region will be below that 50 or above that 15% capacity, then we could exit back onto the tiered framework. Um, so I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions. Um, and as I said, there are still some areas where we need clarity as well. Um, I'll take a look at the chat and um, and then I'd like to turn it over to Jill Blake to talk a little bit more about the COVID situation on the ground in Nevada County and some other public health updates.
8: Thanks Ryan, can you hear me?
5: Yes, go ahead, Jill.
8: Great, thanks. And I too wish that we were here under better circumstances and that I had better data to share with you. But unfortunately, um, but I don't. Um, I'll just share with you that uh, from March to October, we had a total of 642 cases. In the month of November alone, we added 706 new cases. So more cases in one month than we had in the previous eight months combined. Um, Just December 1st through December 3rd, we've added another 169 cases. Uh, As of yesterday, as per our dashboard, we have had, or we have eight, uh, 408 active cases, 17 hospitalizations, and sadly, as Ryan referenced, we have 15 deaths due to COVID now, and there will be more to come. Um, we still see that many of the new infections are due to gatherings with family and friends, and the sectors where we see outbreaks or the most cases right now include healthcare. Uh, that does include skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities, schools and daycare, food service, clerical and office um, sectors, as well as firefighters. Um, Like most other places, uh, this dramatic increase and escalation of increase in new cases has translated into us having to prioritize the cases as they come in, in terms of which ones we're doing case investigation and contact tracing on. In general, we're focusing on those living, working, or visiting congregate living settings. Um, or actually congregate settings. It could be school aged children because they're in schools, but also the elderly and healthcare workers, as well as those those who are most at risk for serious illness, including elderly. Um, For those we don't reach out to by phone, we're mailing or emailing them instructions for isolation and for quarantine, and we're asking them to share that quarantine guidance with people who are identified as close contacts. Those are people with whom uh, they spent time within six feet um, of another person um, for 15 minutes or more over a a 24-hour period. Um, For the most part, we feel like people are are really um, helping us with that effort. For the most part, people who identify close contacts, um, those close contacts are usually people that they care about, people that they want to protect from illness. So we've had uh, community participation in that effort, and we appreciate it if you are one of those people who ends up hearing from somebody who has tested positive and they identify you as a close contact please do take the information from them and and call us if you have any questions i do want to say that case investigation and contact tracing are super effective tools in our public health toolbox and they have worked really well when we've had other um, outbreaks in the county but when we get to a point where we have widespread transmission in the community like we do now When we get to a place where disease transmission outpaces our ability to contain it, then we have to switch to uh, from disease containment strategies more to mitigation strategies. And that's what I just described, where we're asking for community for help as well. Um, This is not the ideal scenario, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, The way we're prioritizing our cases is as per recent recommendations that have come out from the Centers for Disease Control or CDC. And the reason they came out with those recommendations is because so many across the country now are facing that situation where they have to prioritize. Um, I mentioned that we do have widespread community transmission, and we are in the purple tier um, of the blueprint system, which indicates widespread community transmission. That's based uh, currently both on our cases and on our positivity rate. Um, I do want to say also that when we are experiencing widespread transmission, it's often quite difficult for people to know exactly where they, where or how they got infected. Uh, a person may have been out to eat at a grocery store, getting their hair cut, shopping, putting gas in their car, going to work, nothing extravagant or bold. Uh, they're just out in the world. Uh, and maybe they have somebody else in their household who's doing the same thing. Our, our director of nursing gave some really sage advice uh, with, with where we're at with transmission. She said that we should behave as though everyone around us has COVID-19. And that message is not intended to create fear or paranoia, but to instill practices that will keep us all safe. Uh, unfortunately, there's just not a quick fix to this pandemic, but the simple things that uh, Supervisor Hall mentioned maintaining that six foot distance, wearing a mask, limiting your interactions with others can take us far. Um, I'll touch just a bit on testing because with our increase in cases and with the increased number of close contacts per case and with the Thanksgiving holiday, we saw a really dramatic increase uh, in demand for COVID-19 testing. Nevada County has over 20 testing sites, and that includes private practitioners, clinics and hospitals, and the two OptumServe sites that we have in the county, one located in Truckee and one in Grass Valley. Those are complements to those sites that already exist. As of November 1st, the daily testing capacity of each of those OptumServe sites increased from 132 tests per day to 165 tests per day. And we continue to work on other ways to increase local testing capacity. Um, But there are limitations to the resources that we can bring to the county. There are limitations to the resources that the state has to offer us. So for right now, we're asking that people who don't have symptoms or a known exposure to someone with COVID-19 temporarily postpone getting tested. We know that there's value in asymptomatic people being tested. But again, because of the increased demand, we're asking that some people, again, temporarily postpone getting tested. Um, I'll touch on vaccine planning just for a moment as well. So that is the light at the end of the tunnel as many people call it. There are two, at least two COVID vaccines um, that are up or have been submitted to the Federal Drug Administration or the federal, yes, the FDA um, for approval. And my understanding is that they'll be reviewing those vaccines on December 10th. um, And those vaccine manufacturers are seeking an emergency use authorization. So the nation, the state, every county, we're all preparing for the delivery of that vaccine. Our local role as a local public health department will both be administering vaccines, um, will likely serve as a safety net vaccinator as we do with other vaccines, um, and will also be the entity that is allocating doses within our jurisdiction to other healthcare providers who will also be administering vaccines. Um, The state has a lot of information on their website about the committees they put together. There is a scientific safety review work group. There is a drafting guidelines work group. There is a community vaccine advisory committee. um, And they are all providing direction for us at a local level. So uh, they are defining the priority populations who will get it first. Um, We know that we will have an allocation um, when it is allocated out to local health jurisdictions, which should happen in December. It certainly won't be enough to uh, to vaccinate the prioritized populations, but we anticipate that slow trickle in of additional vaccines until we get those priority populations vaccinated, and then we'll be offering it up to the general population as well. So I think that's my update. I think those are the things I was asked to talk about, and again, happy to answer questions as they come up. So thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Jill.
5: <clears throat> there are- Thank you all for putting your questions in the Q&A. We are responding to those questions, and some of the questions that we haven't quite responded to, we know we'll get to later in the presentation. So please be patient and continue to put your questions um, there in the Q&A versus in the chat, which um, is hard for us to respond to directly. So,
0: This is the KVMR Evening News. You're listening to the Nevada County COVID-19 Community Update, recorded at 2 o'clock this afternoon. If you're looking for the California report, it's available on our website at kvmr.org.
5: Next, we're going to move on to Dr. Brian Evans from Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital to share an update about the status of the hospital. Thank you, Dr. Evans.
9: Thank you, Molly. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk today. Uh, I want to go back to something Ryan said at the beginning of this and just put a little emphasis on it. Um, Ryan mentioned that when there's an event, a gathering, like Thanksgiving, uh, we can predict if there's additional cases from that, that that will result in people getting sick at some point in the future. And it may take a couple of weeks before that actually starts to impact hospitalization rates. So when I think about Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital and other hospitals around the country, we're sort of downstream of those events and there's a bit of a time delay. Um, What we do not wanna have happen is what we saw happen in New York uh, and other places all around the world where hospital systems and individual hospitals have been essentially overwhelmed with more volumes than, than they can safely take care of. Um, so when I, when I look back on the timeline of this pandemic, for the most part, we haven't had a huge number of admitted patients at Sierra Nevada, but what we have seen is essentially a progression over the last month or so where the numbers keep ticking up and we're starting to Be concerned that we could end up in that situation if this community is not very, very cautious. Um, So, just to give you an idea of the census, you know, mostly during the pandemic, we've had a couple of patients admitted, you know, one or two or three. Uh, But over the last couple of weeks, it's been more in the high single digits. And I think our peak number was 10 admitted patients in the hospital, Um, two or three in the unit, in the ICU unit, uh, and then the rest out on the floor. We can take care of that number. We have the capacity for that. uh, But what we worry about is if that number keeps on going up, if it doubles or triples, that that kind of thing, that gets very concerning. We also track very closely our divisional partners. We're part of Dignity Health. And so we partner with five other hospitals in the Sacramento region. And we look at their numbers every day, pretty much. Um, And what we've seen is about a month ago, the total number of hospitalized patients in those other five hospitals was in the 30s and now it's up over 130. So it's really picked up in the last couple of weeks, which is concerning the entire Sacramento area. And, and we are not an island, we are absolutely affected by these things. And I'll just mention one of the initial thoughts about uh, how to deal with this pandemic was, well, you know, we could transfer patients from one hospital to another potentially and try to, um, you know, share resources and share capacity. But realistically, that's very difficult to do when every hospital is sort of filling up at the same rate all over the uh, all over the area. So uh, I'm not sure that that's you know, a good long-term strategy for this. And, and I think we really need to be very, very focused on prevention. Um, people ask me quite a bit about, well, what's the capacity for the hospital? How many beds do you have? How many ventilators do you have? And all that kind of thing. And, and I can tell you uh, the capacity of the hospital in terms of beds and equipment is fine. We, we have plenty of square footage and we have um, you know adequate numbers of beds. But what is really uh, the issue for not just this hospital, but basically every hospital that I'm aware of is staffing. And so when I talk about staffing, it's, it's physician staffing, it's nurses, it's techs, it's EVS workers, it's food workers, it's uh, pharmacists, it's all of these people that are really required to take outstanding care of COVID patients. And during this pandemic, we've seen um, essentially all the hospitals are asking for more help from temporary workers, from traveler, nurses, et cetera. And so uh, there haven't been enough to go around in some cases. And then we're also seeing uh, part of the healthcare workforce getting sick and needing to go out. And so that's affecting our ability to increase our capacity um, you know, as the cases go up. So that's definitely a concern. Um, I'll just mention the ventilators specifically. Um, We have quite a few ventilators. And one one thing that people were really interested in ventilators at the beginning of the pandemic and how many did everybody have and all that kind of thing. Um, One thing that's happened with this pandemic is that the way to take care of COVID patients has really become more clear. There's been a lot of good research. There's been a lot of experience about how, how to best take care of COVID patients. And so now it's, it's become more clear to, uh, to physicians, hospitalists, critical care doctors, that actually it's better to take care of patients without putting them on a ventilator very early on and using other oxygen delivery apparatus, which we also have plenty of here. So um, that's kind of the capacity issue. On medications, we have access to the medications that have been shown to be helpful uh, and therapeutic in uh, COVID. We have remdesivir, we've given out quite a bit of that actually dexamethasone is another one we've been using regularly because it has shown some very significant benefit in patients. We also have bamlanivimab which is a hard one to say but it's a a monoclonal antibody uh, which is used for outpatients and we've administered that here as well. And then we are absolutely prepared and continue to prepare more for vaccines. So what we're probably going to see here first is the Pfizer vaccine which is the one that requires significant cold storage. And we're, uh, we already have our um, super cold freezer that's available for that. Um, but the concern with the vaccines is that, is that there's not gonna be huge numbers of doses of vaccines coming out rapidly. And we're gonna have to uh, really be thoughtful about the distribution of these vaccines. And we'll get some guidance uh, from uh, gov- government agencies nationally and also from our healthcare system. Certainly healthcare providers and people who are medically fragile will be on the front line of getting vaccines. Um, We're also looking to see Moderna uh, have their vaccine come out and we'll be prepared for that one as well. Both of those vaccines are mRNA vaccines and they look very effective. I'll be looking at the data personally. And also we have internal resources to really vet the studies that have been done by these agencies, these companies, to make sure that the vaccines are both safe and effective. And once we've determined that they're safe and effective, um, we will be recommending them uh, and I'll be very much first in line to try to get a vaccine myself. I'm not sure if I qualify for the first line, but uh, I I will want to get one when I can. And then there's several other vaccines that are coming out that uh, I think will will hopefully get everybody to a point, probably by spring, where we can uh, essentially have a vaccinated population. We are working on our surge plans all the time. We've been developing them and modifying them and constantly remodifying them since the uh, pandemic began. Uh, we have a lot of surge plans in place. And I think they've, there's a, a lot of really good work that's been done. Uh, but I really just want to emphasize the fact that it is staffing more than anything else. Our ability to take care of COVID patients is going to be most limited by the people that have the expertise to take care of these folks. And so when people ask me, What can I do for healthcare workers that are doing this work, taking care of the community, taking care of patients? The number one thing that everybody can do for these healthcare workers is do not get COVID and don't give anybody COVID. And um, like it was mentioned before, you know, we we don't wanna instill fear in the community. I don't think that's particularly helpful, but we wanna be very reasonable about this. And if we can limit the spread of COVID-19, we can prevent all of our hospitals from becoming overwhelmed by this pandemic. And we can continue to provide excellent care to to the patients that we have. And that is what we need to be doing until we can get a vaccinated population and we can get through this. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We've just got to get to that point. So with that, I will turn it back to you, Molly.
5: Great, thank you so much, Dr. Evans. Um, There are some questions in the chat about um, Sierra Nevada. I'm gonna give you a chance to take a look at those or in the Q and A. Um, And Ryan and Jill, there may be a few for you um, to take a look at as well. But next I really wanna get to um, Judy Newland from Tahoe Forest Hospital. There've been some questions she's been responding to in the Q and A as well and wanna get an update on how the hospital's doing over in Truckee. So Judy, thank you for being with us. Uh, Thank you for the invitation.
3: And um, really my response is very similar to Dr. Evans. I think we are, sort of mimicking exactly what's happening on the west side regarding uh, our seeing patients, our COVID patients, um, and um, how many admissions we've had. So just to start, just a reminder, Tahoe Forest Hospital, we're actually servicing Nevada County, Placer County, and Washoe County um, in all those areas. Uh, We've tested probably around 8,700 individuals um, and have had approximately 460 positive uh, from our testing, all total with all those three counties, it's about a thousand. So we do monitor all three counties. Uh, We too, today, I would just say, um, we have seen um, probably in the last couple of weeks increase in patients that we're seeing. Uh, We too have seen a total of 10 uh, COVID patients. Currently today, uh, we have six Um, Our ICU, we have uh, 33% of our beds open and we're running it today about 18% of our beds are housed with uh, COVID patients. So uh, continuing to monitor that uh, consistently. Um, We have, as Dr. Evans talked about, um, we have medication we do provide remdesivir here we too have provided uh, patients uh, with the plan vivabam on an outpatient basis for those patients that uh, test positive and meet the criteria for that medication so we're happy to provide that service we um, also have a search plan um, and we are very sensitive to that it's it's changing every day based on our population But uh, with the increase uh, last weekend of our uh, inpatient admissions, we did actually expand our bed capacity. Uh, Usually we run 25 beds, we've now increased that to 32. So not only are we able to meet the capacity for our uh, COVID patients, but we do recognize that we do have a large ski industry. Uh, We have for 68 years provided services to that ski industry. Uh, you know, we can go anywhere from a population, you know, 40,000 to doubling, tripling that on a weekend. And so uh, we do are anticipating that. And uh, we do believe we have the capacity to provide care not only to the COVID patients, but to uh, the ski industry, which we do routinely do. One of the things we have really been focusing on, so everyone's aware is really that outpatient component. Um, you know what can we do on an outpatient basis to keep our COVID patients as healthy as possible? Uh, we did open our outdoor respiratory illness clinic in Truckee. We've expanded that through the winter. We've added an indoor pediatric uh, respiratory illness clinic for pediatric patients in Truckee. And then also in Tahoe City, we have added a outdoor uh, adult. Um, we are actually putting in place a COVID nurse navigator. Really our goal with that is to be able to reach out to every positive patient in our zip code area. Some people do really well and they don't feel they need a, a primary care physician or some do, but we want to make sure we touch base with each of those individuals routinely. So that's a new services that we will be providing. One of the things we do depend on, we are a rural hospital. We don't provide all healthcare services here. So we do need to transfer patients to higher level of care. Um, uh, East of us, Reno has been a great healthcare partner for us in which we're able to uh, transfer higher level of care patients to. Um, And then more recently, we've actually also used on the west side uh, transferring patients, those that uh, have services that we can't provide. Uh, We do look every day at other hospitals to see their capacity because most certainly uh, it's important for us to be able to transfer to those higher level of care. And then I think Dr. Evans spoke about uh, also about staffing. Uh, Currently, we are able to provide all of our services to our community. Uh, We do monitor our staffing daily. They are people too. And and, um, we want to make sure that uh, we continue to have those resources. Um, That's important to us. And so we are uh, monitor that and make sure that we can continue to provide that care and that um, our staff is available and so we have a safe environment for our patients. Just emphasizing again, as we have probably all done the last nine months, um, really the importance of you know mask wearing, washing your hands and social distancing, um, and again just making sure we all take care of our physical and mental health will really help us all get through this pandemic. Thank you.
5: Thank you so much, Judy. Okay, so that concludes our panel presentation for today. We are still responding to some of the questions that have come up um, in the chat. So I would like to uh, circle back to our panelists and provide the opportunity to respond to some of those questions, or if something else has come up that you feel um, needs to be addressed. So I see Dr. Evans has unmuted, so I think he's got something to add.
9: Well, there's some good questions about the vaccines in particular. Um, one, one question is really good about how long does the mRNA last uh, after you've been given this mRNA-based vaccine? Uh, I don't know the answer to that right now. So it's something I'm, I'm interested in learning more about. And what I wanna do is really dive into some of the science of those two mRNA vaccines that are coming out as well as the viral vector vaccines. Uh, the other questions were about side effects and the side effects that I was reading about with the Pfizer vaccine, indicated it had a similar side effect profile to other types of vaccines like influenza, where uh, achiness and some fatigue and some fever was um, a possibility in some individuals, but it was transient. uh, And there were, uh, at this point, at least no long-term side effects uh, noted from the vaccine. So uh, again, I need to really dig in on that one and really look at uh, what the FDA has to say. But we also have some internal resources at Common Spirit Health who are vaccinologists and they are going to help really dig in on the safety profile and the uh, effectiveness of these vaccines. So I thought that was uh, really good, really good question. So thank you for those. Um, I'm not sure I've got any other answers than that. Oh, sorry, one other. <laughs> uh, one other one was how long is it anticipated the vaccine will remain effective? I don't think we know the answer to that just yet. I think that Uh, It's too early in the results of the trial they're planning on studying and following uh, vaccine recipients for at least two years. uh, But obviously these just came out and I don't think they're going to be able to ascertain whether people have some level of protection for uh, how long, but uh, there is optimism I do know that um, uh, one of the things that was uh, brought up with the vaccines is that Uh, Sometimes viruses can change over time, they can mutate, and with that, the question is, would a vaccine continue to be effective for an individual that received it uh, in the future? And that's one of the reasons why these vaccines are targeting the surface proteins that are a spike protein on the surface of this coronavirus uh, entity, because the spike protein is not likely to change over time, even with mutations in this particular uh, virus. But, you know, again, all of this is very, very new science, and it really does need to uh, be closely monitored. I think I think that's what I've got, Molly.
5: Great. Thank you so much. Um, I'm wondering if Ryan or Jill wanted to talk a little bit more about contact tracing. I think there was a question about, um, or maybe it was answered. It looks like it must have been answered because it popped off of the opens. Um, all right. Anything else from our panelists that you'd like to um, share or respond to? I just respond, you know, I, I saw, I see a question and I think a lot of people might have
3: that question about, you know, the safety of going into a hospital and emergency department or, um, on an inpatient. And I think I can speak for all hospitals. You know, we take this, uh, COVID situation very seriously and we, um, you know, monitor the CDC guidelines, California department of public health, you know, We have staff that are in there and they are just, it's just as important to them as it is to anybody that has stepped through our doors, that we make sure that we provide a clean and safe environment. So in just letting everyone know that when you go into a hospital, that staff, that medical staff and hospital staff take extra precaution to make sure that, uh, that that environment is safe. And I want everyone to know that they can feel that way.
5: Great, thank you so much, Judy. Ryan or Jill, anything that you'd like to add?
9: I think one of the questions now is one that we just answered um, about the vaccine. If the if the uh, virus mutates over time, so I think we covered that. Um, some people are becoming sick after recovering initially. That's after being infected with COVID as opposed to a vaccinated person. I have heard that that has happened, yes. Um, Oh, somebody had asked about uh, the the number of beds at Sierra Nevada. So Sierra Nevada does have a 10-bed ICU. Uh, It is typically um, limited to four ICU beds under normal circumstances, but we can certainly increase up uh, and fill up the ICU with uh, more patients in the case of a pandemic. We also have in our surge plan the ability to uh, expand outside of the intensive care unit as needed. But again, it really boils down to staffing.
5: Yeah, thank you, Dr. Evans. And I just want to point out, if, if our audience hasn't seen it yet, um, on YubaNet, Pascal recently posted a press release from the Yuba County PIO um, announcing a public health advisory in effect through December twenty second. And really, uh, to your point, the, the press release says that hospitalizations of the Yuba-Sutter residents have nearly tripled in the past few weeks. And at the time of this advisory, ICU beds are full. Previous plans for alternative care sites are no longer feasible due to staffing shortages all over the state and country. And um, so that's the situation in our, our neighboring county, um, Yuba and Sutter and their healthcare system. So um, pretty dire situation in the county next door. Um, so I want to... Let you know, too, there were a couple of questions about support for businesses. Again, this is a terrible time of year um, for businesses that have already suffered so much um, through this year to to need to be closing again or reducing their capacity. Uh, There are additional state resources that have been made available to businesses. I posted a link in the chat to sort of the landing page on the state's website um, that has links to all of those programs. There's loan programs, there's grant programs, depending on the size of your business and and various criteria. Uh, We do host a regular COVID business task force meeting that the county hosts um, typically on Wednesday afternoons. The next one will be next Wednesday um, from 3 to 4 p.m. And the focus of that task force meeting really will be to dive into those um, programs for businesses that um, are now impacted once again and trying to figure out how to get through the winter season. So um, that information, um, you can email our COVID-19 recovery email address if you're interested um, in getting information about how to participate in that meeting um, next Wednesday from 3 to 4 to learn more about that. I would also encourage you to reach out to the Sierra Business Council, that has also been an excellent partner to help um, businesses in our community navigate those programs and um, complete their applications. So those are some resources. Um, Again, the the COVID-19 recovery uh, at co.nevada.ca.us is our um, general email address where businesses can ask questions about if their sector is open or closed um, and ask for assistance for guidance and other questions. Uh, we've also had some questions about enforcement and how the public can um, let us know if there's a business that that they think is not in in compliance with the guidance. Uh, we do have a uh, reporting system. There's a link to it right on the home page of the county's website, county.com. If you scroll down to Ask Nevada County and click on that button. Um, You can let us know if there's a business that we need to reach out to and and have a conversation with them about what's going on and how we can support them to be safe and to keep our community safe. Uh, So those are some resources that are available. I do want to um, ask uh, chair Heidi Hall if she has any final words for us or um, before we before we wrap up today. I just
7: want to thank all of you on the on the panel for your um, excellent continuous efforts. Um, We know how stressful this is. I can only imagine actually how stressful it is for you, as well as the healthcare workers and all of our essential workers out there trying to keep themselves safe and also keep the community safe. Um, So just huge thanks to you. Huge thanks to the community. I know. So I hear from so many of you that you're really doing your best efforts to stay safe and, and also keep your neighbors safe. The great news is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel with these vaccinations coming. So please stay the course. Please, please double down and stay the course on following the public health mandates is the best way to get us through this, um, to support our businesses as well as our healthcare workers and our families. Thanks everyone for tuning in to get this information.
5: Great, thank you so much, Supervisor Hall. And we are going to wrap up this meeting. If there's any other questions we haven't touched on, we will try to get to those. And this um, meeting was broadcast live on YouTube and will be archived on YouTube uh, to be watched again later or shared with people who maybe weren't able to attend today. So thank you so much. Stay safe. And let's keep Nevada County strong. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank
6: you.
0: This is the KVMR Evening News. You've been listening to the Nevada County COVID-19 Community Update Webinar that was broadcast this afternoon featuring Molly Dick, the Assistant County Executive Officer for Nevada County, Heidi Hall the chair of the Nevada County Board of Supervisors, Ryan Gruber, the Nevada County Health and Human Agency Director, Jill Blake, Nevada County Public Health Director, Dr. Brian Evans, the CEO of Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, and Judy Newland, Tahoe Forest Hospital Chief Operating Officer. Tonight's newscast, as well as all of our newscasts, are available on kvmr.org. Next up on the KVMR Evening News, we bring you the Public News Service National Headlines. The
6: Public News Service Daily Newscast, December the 4th, 2020. I'm Mike Clifford. One reason the 2020 election is notable is for the so-called rainbow wave of LGBTQ lawmakers elected for the first time. Suzanne Potter reports that happened in California and across the country.
3: Todd Gloria is the first LGBTQ person and the first person of color to be elected mayor of San Diego. Susan Eggman from the Central Valley will be the first LGBTQ Latina to serve in the California State Senate. And Alex Lee from San Jose says he's honored to become the first openly bisexual member of the State Assembly.
9: There's a lot of things we assume that would have already been accomplished by 2020 that haven't been done even in California and so I hope to encourage more young, queer people of color to run for office and make their own history in California.
3: I'm Suzanne
10: Potter.
6: Reproductive health providers in Illinois are preparing for an influx of patients if the 6-3 to three conservative majority on the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade. Brandi Collins-Calhoun is with the National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy.
2: We're seeing clinics require a two-week quarantine for out-of-state patients right now because of
6: COVID.
3: So with Illinois, they'll be well over their capacity of funding and support once the trigger laws go into effect.
6: The National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy preparing a toolkit now to direct more support for reproductive rights. And with evictions set to skyrocket after the CDC moratorium ends at the end of this month, a Kansas City tenants group is taking an unusual route to delay evictions by disrupting housing court hearings that are being held online.
10: Tara Ragavir with KC Tenants says research shows online hearings may even violate the rights of renters with disabilities or those who can't speak English or lack internet access. Members of her group register to attend remote eviction hearings where they speak against kicking people out of their homes during a pandemic. Raghavir says the disruptions cause postponements and so far have brought more than 350 renters more time to build their cases to stay put.
2: We've gotten cases delayed all the way to January and February. We've also pushed the judge with the highest volume eviction docket in Kansas City to end her hearings entirely as a result of our repeated online teleconference disruption.
10: In a statement, the president of Landlords, Inc., Robert Long, charges that KC Tenants is more interested in changing the for-profit housing model than in assisting renters. He thinks the group would be more effective if it worked with social service agencies to help people catch up on their rent. I'm Diane Bernard.
6: A study by the Kansas City Eviction Project found people of color are evicted at a higher rate than white renters. This is PNS. The state of Ohio could soon lose a key source of support in response to the COVID-19 pandemic.
2: Through an emergency authorization, the federal government is funding 75% of the Ohio National Guard's COVID-19 response work through the end of the year. Roughly 1,800 National Guard members are serving in logistical and public health roles. At the Second Harvest Food Bank of North Central Ohio, Julie Chase-Moorfield explains Guard members are doing the heavy lifting. Helping pull orders, loading trucks, packing boxes, sorting food donations, and then they've
5: helped to set up drive-through mobile distributions.
2: Ohio Senators Rob Portman and Sherrod Brown are leading the request for an extension of federal support. Morefield says Ohio's entire congressional delegation has signed the letter.
5: We are so fortunate legislators recognize how critical the National Guard support is, not only to the food bank, but also to the medical facilities, to the correctional facilities, to the nursing homes, to rolling out the vaccine.
2: Governor Mike DeWine also has asked FEMA and other federal agencies to extend full federal funding for the National Guard through March 31st, 2021. Mary Sherman reporting.
6: Meantime, Arizona's passage of their Proposition 207 on November 3rd means people aged 21 and older will soon be able to buy marijuana for recreational use. But backers of the law say it also will give some Arizonans a measure of
1: social justice. The initiative allows people with minor marijuana convictions to have their records expunged or drop any pending cannabis charges. A recent ACLU study found, on average, Arizona courts gave Latino and black defendants higher fines and longer jail terms for pot convictions than white offenders. Dimitri Downing with the Marijuana Industry Trade Association of Arizona says sales should begin April 5th.
6: January 19th, they have to be issued by March 19th, and the medicinal marijuana license can then sell adult use over 21.
1: Opponents say it could cause a dramatic increase in the use of dangerous drugs by young people across the state.
6: Mark Richardson reporting. Finally, our Eric Tinganoff tells us tribal advocacy helped push the U.S. Forest Service to protect parts of Montana's crazy
4: mountains. The Custer-Gallatin National Forest Plan likely will be released in early 2021. It includes wilderness protections for a small portion of the crazies, a sacred mountain range for the Crow tribe. Shane Doyle of the tribe says he and fellow Crow see the crazies as a place to be cherished and respected.
0: The cultural value of the range puts it into a historical context that all Montanans and really people all over the world will be allowed to appreciate in a way that really celebrates the significance
6: of that range. The tribe would like to see the plan prohibit motorized and mechanized recreation such as mountain biking. This is Mike Clifford. Thank you for wrapping up your week with Public News Service. Member and listener supported heard on some of the nation's most interesting radio stations and always online at publicnewsservice.org.
0: Well, that's going to do it for our newscast for this evening. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Paul Emery Audio. For their support, we'd like to thank California Solar Electric Company, a locally owned solar cooperative. California Solar Electric Company is a SunPower Elite dealer designing and installing residential home battery storage and commercial solar systems in Nevada County since 2000. Information, californiasolarco.com. Stay tuned for... Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman here on KVMR.
6: Hey, Sunflower, your chakras look kind of burned out. Maybe you should get your ears candled.
8: Whoa, Peace Bear, you're psychic. Mercury's in
10: retrograde, and my aura's all puce. I've been praying to a
7: crystal for two days, and I'm still on a bad trip.
6: You need to lighten your load, man. I'll take all your possessions, but you gotta donate your car to KVMR. I can't deal with another bringdown at the DMB.
8: Thanks, Peace Bear. You're a real
10: cool cat.
6: 1-877-411-3662 or KVMR.org. Far,
8: Far freaking, freaking out. out.